Have you ever heard the phrase, fake it till you make it? You know, a lot of life, uh, I feel like there's many areas where we have to do that. And I'll give you a prime example. My senior year I had uh, of high school, I graduated. We went to Beach Week. Parents, don't let your kids go to Beach Week, just letting you know. But uh, came back from Beach Week, and I got a job at a moving company. And it was one of these huge companies. Uh, and my friend and I got the job, and we heard that they paid well per hour. So why not take the job? Well, we got stuck in this warehouse, and it was the most mindless job. We would just wait, look at our watches waiting for the time to pass. There was little to do, and there was a man in there who we couldn't understand. He had been working in the warehouse so long, he had developed his own language with the other guys, and we didn't know what he was saying half the time. He would say things like, here's where our has, and I would say, what? And what he was asking for was to give us three or four of those pads, And so whatever he said, we would just grab four pads and give it to him. And half the time we were right, half the time he would yell something else that didn't sound nice. And we would just, you know, we're like, oh, gosh, we've got to get out of here. One day one of the truck drivers came and asked if there was anybody who knew how to pack and how to move. We both raised our hand. We had never done it before, but how hard could it be? So that became our M.O. for the summer. Whatever they needed, we raised our hands because we wanted to get out of the warehouse. By the end of the summer, my friend Neil was driving around the trucks with air brakes on them, which you're not even supposed to do. You need a special license for. I was backing up trucks in the lot. I remember one time I hit the, the loading dock door, which was not good, caused a lot of damage. I think Neil had a minor fender bender out in the community with one of the trucks. But we really didn't know what we were doing, especially when it came to driving. And half the time with moving, we were kind of watching the other guy and how to pack the boxes, like don't put books on top of wine glasses, you know, things like that. But, you know, we kind of faked it until we made it. Um, you know, I think oftentimes in our lives, we're trying to, to do that, but it doesn't always work. I look at uh, my own life, and my wife tells me anytime I'm trying to fake something, she says I'm the worst actor because you can read it on my face. And anybody who's been around me knows I don't hold my uh, emotions very well. If I'm annoyed, you see it. If I'm happy, you see it, etc. There's a movie that came out a while back called Catch Me If You Can. Has anybody seen that movie here? It was about a famous con artist, and his name was uh, uh, Frank Abagnale. See, Frank's parents had filed for divorce, and Frank ends up running away. And his money begins to run out, and so he starts up all these confidence scams where he fakes it till he makes it, so to speak. First, he's a French teacher, but then he starts expanding. Pretty soon, he's working as a pilot for Pan Am. He's writing checks to himself. The scam is running on until he has millions of dollars in these forged checks that he's uh, paying himself. He even becomes a lawyer and a doctor. And he wrote about this part of his life later after he got out of jail. And he said, even though I didn't see my dad again, every night after living a brilliant day and meeting many women and making much money, I'd come back alone to a hotel room and I would just think of my mom and dad and fantasize about getting them back together again, and then I would cry. You see, oftentimes, the mask, the way we fake things, is to hide the hollowness, the emptiness we feel inside, the inadequacy on how to live life the right kind of way. We see this uh, in our families. Have you ever heard people say, oh, that's the perfect couple, and then five years later, they're not together anymore? Or maybe people have come up to you and said, oh, your kids are great. And you're thinking, really? Have you spent any time with them at the house? Not so great. 
not only in our relationships, but I believe that we do that with God, too. We, we try our best. We attend church. We help out with soup kitchens. We volunteer for stuff. We even go on mission trips. But oftentimes, it's a performance checklist. If I just do this, I can kind of keep God at bay, and he won't find out all the bad stuff that's inside of me, all the stuff that I'm not proud of or we're not proud of. Even our greetings, we like to keep it on the surface. I always think it's funny as we walk around and where we say, hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Good. Even strangers we say this to, which is kind of bizarre. Can't we just say good afternoon, good afternoon? But we uh, keep things on the surface as much as possible. Jesus warned about these kind of people. He said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In other words, the religious people back in that day were doing the best they could to do the checkoff list, to obey the rules, to look good, even though on the inside they didn't know what to do with their guilt, their emptiness, the way they really felt. As long as they can look good, then they could fool everybody else. Well, the gospel reading today is very bizarre, But it applies to our lives because it is a man who's not pretending like he has it all together. A matter of fact, he's at the other spectrum. See, Jesus and his friends had just uh, been in a storm. Jesus told the storm to stop, and it stopped. His friends, the disciples, are pretty freaked out at this point, as you and I would be, if one of your friends was able to stop the wind and the waves. So they're like, oh, now we can finally get some relaxation, you know, go hang out on the beach They arrive to the beach, and there, a naked guy comes running at them, full speed, I imagine. If you if you look in the reading, he cuts himself and bruises himself with stones, so he probably has blood on him, and he's screaming at them. If I was the disciples, or if I was Jesus, I would want to get back in the boat and go back in a storm, because this guy does not needs a sign that says, keep out, stay away. But here's the great news. Jesus does the opposite. When he sees the man, he comes right toward him. He confronts the demons in him. He asks them what their names are. He says, this is right out of a horror movie or a Halloween thing. They're legion, for we are many. The demons beg to be put into the pigs. They go into the pigs. I mean, the scene is so crazy, right? If I was the gospel writer, like, might not want to include that story. But he does. They go into the pigs. The pigs jump over the cliff. Mass suicide. All the pigs are dead. The farmers are freaking out. They just lost a huge profit. People from the town come. They see this demon-possessed man that they told their kids to keep away from dressed and in his right mind, and now they're scared because who has the power to heal this lost cause? I'm sure this man's parents had given up on him. His friends had given up on him. He was alone in a cemetery. He was like an example of the living dead. Yet Jesus is not afraid of him. Jesus changes him, transforms him, forms him, and the people are afraid. I'm sure they were thinking, what if he knew what was inside of me? What if he was able to get below this mask, this costume I'm wearing? So they ask him to leave, and the man begs for Jesus to, can I go with you? I want to leave this town. I want a new start. I want to, you know, take this on the road, tell people what uh, you've done for me. But Jesus has other plans for him. He said, no, I want you going right back to your community, and I want you to tell what Jesus has done for you. And he does. And I'm sure his testimony changed many people in that town 
to see a man from went from that extreme to this extreme. So how does this apply to you and to I? Well, the, the first thing it shows us, and it clearly shows us, is that God loves us at our worst. This guy, he was not your poster child for a potential convert. He was the opposite. He was somebody that we would deemed evil keep away. He was not a lost cause. Jesus loves us at our worst. He runs to us rather than runs away from us when we're at our darkest hour. The second thing he does is not only does he come to us, he has the power to transform our lives. Just like he calmed that man and changed him and the man was a new person, he has the potential, if we are willing to repent and put our faith in him, to do the same into our lives. And the third and final thing is, he doesn't leave the man there, not just healed and, you know, dressed and all those things. He gives him a purpose, a mission, something to do with his life. He gives him a new story, a new opportunity. He's going to be a missionary in his town and tell everybody what Jesus has done for him. So how do we do this in our lives? How do we uh, experience God's transformation, his healing? How do we find out what we're supposed to do with our life? Well, I believe there's one word that stands out throughout my uh, life as a Christian. It's submission. I've told this story before in youth group and maybe even here, but when I was in first grade, we had a girl who was German. Her name was Ingrid, and she was super strong, like all the boys were afraid of her, right? And so we used to play this game called Mercy, where you'd lock hands and then you'd, like, you know, try to make the other person cry or say Mercy, and, uh, but nobody wanted to go against Ingrid because she was stronger than us. And, you know, first grade boy, you'd be embarrassed. But sure enough, one day I decided, and two seconds later, I was saying uh, mercy to Ingrid. You know, the submission that God is talking about for your life and my, my life is not a strong arm. I'm going to make you become a believer. I'm going to make you change your ways. Rather, is it a gent- it's a gentle, humble, yet powerful voice that says, I have a better story for your life. Trust me. Quit trying to do things your own way. When we're willing to submit to that story and quit trying to do this fake it till I make it way, we have the opportunity to change, to be transformed, to be healed, and to figure out what, it, what God would like us to do each and every day of our lives. When I was a 17-year-old in high school, I went to a camp, Windy Gap. Some of you have been there for different uh, functions. And I had an opportunity to make a commitment to Christ. And I didn't want to do it because I had grown up in the church and then I'd kind of fallen away a little bit. And there were some things I was not proud of of my life. And I remember as the speaker started talking about sin, I became angry. And looking back on that, I believe I was angry because I didn't want to give up that control. Thank you, God, but I'm doing things on my own, just fine. I remember even wanting to leave the camp, even though I was having the best time of my life. Well, I heard the rest of the story, even though I'd heard it many times in church, and the rest of the story was that Jesus died on a cross, the temple and the curtain was torn in two so I could have access to God, that God had loved me at at my worst so that I could be in relationship with him. And I remember just feeling so good that night when I said yes to Jesus and said, I submit, I give my life to you. And my life has had a trajectory in a whole different direction. Does not mean that I've been perfect. Doesn't mean that I've struggled. 
It doesn't mean that I've uh, walked around just quoting Bible verses everywhere. I've had my dark nights. I've had my night in the tombs. But I keep coming back to the God who has the power to heal me continually, to transform me, and to give me a purpose in my life. We have a lot of fathers and grandfathers. Nathan wished you happy Father's Day. But I want you to listen to the the next thing I'm going to say. And it's the same thing for everyone here, but I want you especially to listen to this. Submit your lives to Christ. It's the best thing you can do for your grandkids, of course, for yourself, for your kids. Let me give you an example of why this is the case. There's a book by Donald Miller called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. I read it several years ago. John Wigington is always telling me books to read, and it was one of the ones I actually read. I have like thousands of them left out. I have probably 20 of them that I've only gotten a little bit through. But there's a chapter there of a father who is struggling with his 13-year-old daughter. She started dating, and it was not the type of guy that you want your uh, daughter to date. He said that the guy's basically words when he'd say, hey, I'd like my daughter home at 10, he would say, why? He found marijuana in his daughter's room starting to do drugs, very worried about her. And finally, uh, he realized that he needed to offer a better story for his daughter. He was a Christian, but you see, he kind of was a performance more thing. Check, check, check. Started to take his faith seriously, started to pray for his daughter. And then the Holy Spirit put on his heart that his family needed to do a mission kind of trip. And they decided to join this organization where they would raise money to build an orphanage. He told his daughter about it, and she ended up getting excited about it. She started up her own Facebook page to raise money for this orphanage. Pretty soon, the boyfriend was gone. All she could talk about was the the orphanage and what she was going to do to help out on this project her family uh, was a part of. You see, the father had brought the daughter into a much better story. His prayers had worked. It had healed. It had transformed her. And she had a mission, a purpose that was much better than this boyfriend that was leading her down a very dark, dark path. So fathers, don't forget, submit yourself to God. Listen to him. It's the best thing you can do for your son, your daughter. Grandparents, do not stop praying for your grandkids. And this goes for the grandmothers, for the people who are single, everyone here, and all the influence that we have in our relationships. Finally, I want to leave us with one more example Thinking of the story of Legion, of a young man I got to meet many years ago who was plagued by his own demons. I was working at a camp one summer, a Christian camp, and the youth leader was a guy who looked like a linebacker for the NFL. His name was Byron Hill. He used to play for the University of Auburn in basketball. African-American guy from Richmond. Grew up in more of a middle-class background, but the Lord had laid on his heart. He didn't quite make the NBA. He was close to uh, be a youth minister in a very tough neighborhood, a slum in Richmond. And one of the kids that he got to meet was a kid named Shamari. Shamari was having trouble sleeping, could not sleep at all. He kept hearing voices at night saying that you were going to die. You see, people in his neighborhood had uh, died from the shootings and the drugs. He had a relative who was shot by a stray bullet who wasn't even involved with the drug trafficking that was going on there. So his youth leader, Byron, said, Shamari... You need to start, let me pray for you first. Start reading God's word at night. Let's see how this works. Shamari came back to him a couple weeks later at youth group. Byron asked him, can you sleep? He said, it is amazing. He said, the first night I started reading the Bible, I was able to sleep. And ever since then, I've been able to sleep every night. 
See, the power of the gospel was not something that happened 2,000 years ago to this guy Legion, who was like the, you know, kind of the anomaly, so to speak. It happens to us because we're all plagued by evil, just like this kid Shamari was. The gospel has the power to transform, to heal, to give us a new purpose in our life each and every day. For our church and for our community, what is a good example of submission, of living this out? Well, I think the Emmanuel AME Church is a great example from the recent tragedy that happened this week. There is an example of a community that is submitted to Christ. In spite of what happened, they're already offering forgiveness. They're pleading with the shooter to repent and to give his life to Christ. They're supporting each other. They're asking for God's mercy when it's hard to even speak. This is an example. This is not just some psychological thing of let's all uh, forgive. This is the power of the gospel that can help us do things that we would never thought we had the strength or the power to do. As a church, we have a mission right here on Hilton Head. We have evil in our, evil in our community. We have addictions that people struggle with here and outside the community. We have dark places here that need the power of prayer, that need the power of the gospel, and need the power of you to go out and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to end with a song that we used to sing. As a matter of fact, we sang it at that week when I was at Windy Gap. And the lyrics say this, What if what they say is true? What if you fed 5,000? What if you calmed the sea? Can you calm me? What if what they say is true? What if you walked on water? What if you healed disease? Can you heal me? What if what they say is true? What if you rose on Easter? What if you conquered the sea? Can you conquer me? What if what they say is true? What if you came to love me? Submit yourself to Jesus Christ. A relationship with him will calm you, will heal you, and will conquer you so that you can live a great story, a story that is connected to the author and the perfecter of not only your life but your faith. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we're mindful of what happened at Emmanuel AME Church. We are awed at the faith of that community. Bring us that faith so we can be a source of healing not only to them, but to our own community, to our own lives, to our families, to our teenagers, to our children, to our grandchildren. Help us all to submit our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.